Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of our storytelling family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme. We need your support. Text the code STORYPOD to 44321. During the slam, we leave space for members of our audience to share a five-minute story. This summer, we are bouncing stories off a wall with tales told live on stage, without notes or inhibitions, in the walled yard of the old Idaho Penitentiary. On this episode, we are breaking through with stories of overcoming recorded on August 31st, 2021. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. At late night, we don't need no thought control, but we'll take some dark sarcasm straight up. It's Late Night Stories. Is Alicia here? Yeah, all right. Welcome, everybody. Alicia. Okay, um, I am the oldest of six children. I'm from Calgary, Alberta. Um, that's going to be important in the story later. Um, and I, from the time I was little, I was so embarrassed of my um, Orthodox LDS parents. I just, I just couldn't handle it. They were so cringy. They always wanted to talk about Jesus to my non-Mormon friends, and they always, they always just these crazy things like load us up in the wood-paneled station wagon when everyone else's moms had minivans, and I just, um, I just wanted them to be cool so bad, and so I decided. From the time I was like 12 years old, I was going to be cool. Not only was I going to be a cool teenager, I was going to be a cool mom when I had kids. Of course, when you're LDS, that's all you think about as a woman is you're going to have kids. Um, so um, I, I worked really hard, and I, I fell into the in crowd um, in Canada, which was the people that were obsessed with you um, too. Uh, the band, we're familiar, right? The U2 were old enough. And, um, you know, Bono was, was God and, um, and the edge was Jesus. So <laughs> we all just prided ourselves, and this was like late 90s to age myself, we prided ourselves on knowing the most esoteric facts about this band. Like the edge's name was David and <laughs> Bono had a troubled childhood and, um, and, and who their kids were and that, you know, the edge was Welsh. Just like crazy things that we couldn't possibly have known because the internet there wasn't any um and and we just we were so cool and uh we just we strove to be you know just the coolest kids so we all wanted to go to a U2 concert so badly and our Mormon parents would not let us go they were like "Uh uh-uh that is where the devil lives you're not doing it and so um we all got shipped off to BYU again that's where the Mormon kids go and um we make it through school it was our senior year, it was 2001, and it was graduation. And it was, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was the Elevation 360 tour, and um, we were gonna go. We were gonna go, our parents be damned, because we were college seniors at this point. And um, we all saved up our <clears throat> spending money. It was $80, and back then, girl, that was a lot of money. And so we, we save up our money, and um, this, this concert was gonna be in Calgary. 
um, in the saddle dome, <laughs> which is actually it's shaped like a saddle for those of you who aren't familiar, you know, Calgary Stampede. So we, we have our tickets and um, we get to the venue and we are so, <laughs> there are 12 of us, there's 12 of us Mormon kids that have like stuck together through thick and thin, like through high school and college somehow managed to not have sex with each other or get pregnant or anything like that. It was a miracle. And um, we get to the concert and we realize that we are the peasants. Um, the, the, there were, um, there was actually going to be um, there was going to be a catwalk, a 360, well, 360 catwalk, um, in which The Edge and Bono were going to be walking around on this catwalk, and they were going to be playing on said catwalk, and 300 people were going to be let inside of this heart-shaped catwalk, and we were not among them because the tickets were like $300 to get into this, and um, we did not have parental support, again. So um, <clears throat> we decided that we were going to steal our parents' credit cards and buy two tickets, and, and we did. The 12 of us, we bought two tickets um, for this inside <laughs> this inside um, catwalk experience. And so Slater, apparently someone really liked Saved by the Bell in that family. Um, Slater and Rob, they buy the two tickets with our stolen parents', parents credit cards. And like um, the refugees in the Berlin Wall, we were able to each smuggle in one by one <laughs> our 12 our 12 posse into this into this um, heart-shaped ring of glory and um, we realized at, you know that the, that the bouncer <laughs> we had never been to a concert the bouncer was tugging on the wristbands um, and, and it was a really hard piece of plastic that we had to cut open and, and this was just not going to do and you know, I had the benefit of having a mother who, um, she did craft shows. She didn't just go to craft shows. She made the crafts that they sold at the craft show. So, guys, I was a crafty bitch. And so I went around um, the Saddle Dome, and back then they had the promotional posters taped up with scotch tape. And so I ripped down the scotch tape, um, being the crafty bitch that I am, and, and I scotch taped the bracelet so that when the bouncer pulled on it, there, there was just a little bit of give, but not much. And we all got into the we all got into the ring, and oh, guys, it was glory! It was glory. Bono sang the edge, you know, jammed. He sweat on us because we were so close. I touched his leather pants; they were thick. And um, we we were about halfway through the show, and we look over, and you'll remember I said we knew really, really random esoteric facts about you too, and I realized that um, his wife. Um, his wife Allison and his daughter Eve are right next to us in the heart. And this was very exciting. And we didn't want to be losers, so we didn't say anything to this lovely family, but we somehow knew it was them. And we realized that they had taken their cute family to, to Calgary because it's just this really safe, crime-free place for the most part, you know, Canadians. And um, so we didn't say anything. We just kind of like jammed along, and we were just like, we are jamming with Bono's family. We are so cool. And so... Um, Halfway through um, the song, I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'll spare you the song. But uh, he brings his little daughter, Eve, who I think was about eight or nine. I, I tried to do the math earlier today. Um, she was about eight or nine. She, he brings her onto the stage, and he kneels down, <clears throat> and he sings, like, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, like this beautiful song to his little daughter. And his little daughter, um, she rolls her eyes at him. <laughs> She fucking rolls her eyes at her dad, who was Bono. Like, and at that moment, I realize, I'm like this 21-year-old kid, and I realize if Bono's not cool, 
like, I'm never gonna be cool. I'm never gonna be cool. And I stopped trying to be cool. And, and I'm a parent, I'm a, I'm a mom of three now, and I'm not a cool mom. <laughs> Some Canadian, I'm not ever gonna be cool. But um, my, my friend Nancy once told me, the only thing you ever have to worry about as a mom is that you have to find out who your kids are as soon as possible and just love them for it. And that's what I've tried to do. And at, at that point, um, when I saw little Eve roll her eyes, I broke through this wall of like trying to be cool. Um, and I cut my mom some slack because she had, done, she had done those craft shows to like buy Christmas for us six kids. And she had done those craft shows to put us through college. And I got a way better education than this woman ever, ever got having started having a family at 19. And so, um, yeah, thank you so much. I owe it all to Eve. Thank you, Eve. Our next story slammer is Sonia. Yeah. Uh, So at the time of this story, I was working at a brewery, and I, on Sundays, I would play soccer in the park and then rush to my shift at the brewery. And uh, on this particular Sunday, my shift smashed up right against the end of the soccer game. So as soon as the soccer game ended, I was on my bike racing to the brewery. And I got there and I set my bike on the rack and I planned to come back out and lock it later uh, because I needed to get in and change. And so uh, I went inside, I changed and it was a busy day, so right away I am slinging beers, and that continues for the next few hours. And it's not until 10 p.m. that night that it hits me. I never locked up my bike, and with (laughs) very little hope, I go outside, look at the bike rack, and sure enough, my bike is gone. And I do the thing you do when you lose something of thinking, maybe I just put it somewhere else, or maybe it moved. Uh, And I look around the block a little bit, and it's definitely gone. And so uh, I'm too embarrassed to even say anything to my coworker (laughs) that I forgot to lock it up. So I go back inside and help her close up, and we close the brewery for the night, and uh, I, I think about my long walk home. Um, luckily, I didn't live that far away, so it's not gonna be too bad, uh, and I start walking. Um, it's It was a fall night, uh, one of those where it's hot during the day and then gets cooler, kind of like this, um, and I'm walking, and I walk for about 10 minutes when something catches my attention out of the corner of my eye, and I look, and the first thing I see is my water bottle. And the second thing I see is my bike attached to said water bottle. And the third thing I see is a man riding my bike. <laughs> and so I say, hey, hey, I think that's my water bottle. <laughs> Any wall that was up came down, and uh, in disbelief, I watched him kind of stop in the middle of the road, turn, and roll, pedal the bike towards me. Uh, And he comes up to me, gets off the bike, and says, I found it, and 
So I said, thank you so much for finding my bike. <laughs> Which was the only thing I could think to say at the time. <laughs> and <laughs> I just felt so grateful and <laughs> I asked him, uh, <laughs> I said, I want to repay you. <laughs> So I was like, I don't have any cash, uh, <laughs> but there's a gas station a few blocks away. Uh, so why don't we go there and I can grab some? Uh, and so we start walking to this gas station and I'm uh, walking my bike and he's walking on the ground now because he doesn't have a bike anymore. Uh, <laughs> and we get to the gas station and he says he doesn't want to go inside, uh, and so um, I go in and I uh, look for anything that looks kind of halfway decent, and I grab all the food that I can. Um, I take out $40 in cash, and uh, we sit up against the gas station, and he tells me about being in the military and how he was deployed um, and got back to Boise and couldn't find a job and has no support system uh, and I just talked to him for a while um, and thought about these things that I had and uh, he wanted and I often take for granted um, and after a while I, I told him that I needed to get home uh, so I left and uh, I haven't seen him since but that bike is sitting in my garage, rusty chains and a flat tire. And I do wonder if I saw him again, if I would just let him keep the bike. Um, yeah, thank you. Thanks. And please welcome Bean. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Jeannie Peterson, and I'm going to tell the story about my overcoming uh, continuation of my grief. And I would never uh, ever tell anyone how to grieve because grief is very unique and personal to each person. I met Danny Peterson in 1977. He was one of the funniest, kindest men to ever live. I, I often said that if Danny didn't like you, there's probably something wrong with you. And I think it's really true. And the first birthday present I ever gave him was a collection of 8 by 10 nudes of myself. And that was, in, that was May 7th. And I wrote, happy birthday, here's looking at you. And then the 20th birthday present I ever gave him I did it again. And I, I checked into the Oahe Plaza, and my friends, uh, Connie, who's here tonight, and Mary came over. And there's a knock on the door, and I open it, and Connie says, I'm Mandy, and this is Sandy, and we're here to do you. <laughs> and they dressed me up and dressed me down. And there's probably, we're probably going to go to hell for a couple of pictures we took with the Bible. <laughs> but it was real fun. 
Then, July 22nd, 2008, Danny died of a heart attack at age 55. And there's things that I call positive affirmations that help you overcome. The first one was the night that uh, he died, that evening after he died, and it was about sunset, and we were a bunch of us sitting around out at the patio. And I looked over, and there was a little sawweed owl sitting on a big limb underneath the treehouse. And I took that as a positive affirmation. And then that summer, um, Shakespeare was doing Macbeth. I can say that here because this isn't a theater. <laughs> and it was a tech rehearsal. And at tech rehearsal, everybody and their dogs there, lighting cues, sound cues, things like that. And pretty soon, a big-ass peacock jumps on the berm and walks back and forth and back and forth and stops midline, center stage. And everybody stops and looks at him, and our friend Mark Anthony says, well, that's Danny Peacock. <laughs> and he stayed around that season, though a few of the directors really didn't like his entrances, particularly during the Crucible. <laughs> and then our friend Stitch, who's also a Shakespeare actor, and he was having one of those bad days, and he's walking in to go to rehearsal and, and have the show. And I mean, and he's like, I don't know why I'm an actor. I'm not going to know my lines. I'm going to have awful performance. And he comes around backstage, and there's the peacock standing where the actors uh, have their cigarette. And he gets about two feet from him, and he just talks to him. And Danny Peacock and Vince and Vince, and he had a really good show. And then, and Stitch comes to tell me that a lot of the actors would talk to him. Danny Peacock, I just got to tell you something. And that Peacock would just sit there and look at him and listen, like he was channeling Danny. <laughs> One of my favorite positive affirmations was uh, I, a couple years ago, I took my niece Claire to Jackson Hole and Yellowstone. And Danny and I lived two years in Jackson Hole and we're married in the Chapel of Transfiguration in the Grand Teton National Park. Our marriage license says Moose, Wyoming. <laughs> and we went into park on my birthday, October 1st, and I sailed right by the chapel. And so we went to Jenny Lake first. And Danny had driven the Anna Christine back and forth across the lake for the mountain climbers and the tourists and had like Yvonne Chouinard, Fisher, worldwide uh, mountain climbers. Had Angie Dickinson on his boat one time. <laughs> and they were taking the boats out that day. And it's, so we sat there and watched that. And, and it was one of those days when there's not a cloud in the sky. The lake is glass. A reflection of the Grand Teton on the lake. And we sat there for a while. and put some ashes in the lake, and they're just beautiful what they do. They just kind of go. And then driving back to the chapel, I said, well, you know, Claire, the reason why I miss the chapel, the trees are 30 years higher. Can't see the chapel from the road anymore. 
But of course, it looked the same. I think it was built like 1927 or something like that. And we were there for a while, and on the way out, I went over the prayer book. And I wrote, please say a prayer for my husband, Dan, who has passed away, and I miss terribly. We were married here September 20th, 1980. And I have the pin in my hand, and I hear, Joy of Man's Desire, the song we walked out of the church to. And I thought, well, this is a good time for auditory hallucinations to happen. <laughs> a little old adult schizophrenia. And then, it, and then it, it happened again. And I went over to Claire, and I said, Claire, did you hear that? She said, yeah, it's Beethoven. It's your ringtones. <laughs> this woman had walked in the church. Her phone rang. It's that damn song. And I got a little teary-eyed. And I said, well, I think I just got a birthday phone call from Danny. I don't know what's out there, but there are things that help you to overcome your grief. But as Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, but oh, for the touch of a vanished hand and the voice of a, and the sound of a voice that is still. Thank you. Chelsea. Hello. The, the lights are really nice because I can't see you guys now. <laughs> so um, usually I'm behind the camera, so no pressure. No one take a picture of me. Um, so 2020 was going to be my year. Cue laughter. Um, I was turning 30, and I was also engaged to my longtime partner, um, we were supposed to get married in August of 2020. And it started out, we were doing all of the wedding stuff. We were getting all of our vendors solidified. I got a dress in early March. We got our engagement photos around March 10th. And then something happened. <laughs> Um, it's kind of hard to remember what that chaos felt like and what that uncertainty felt like. And it's kind of funny to look back and think, wow, could we be shut down for a whole month? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, by August, everything will be just fine. Um, Mid-April, it it didn't feel certain, but it felt fairly apparent that an August wedding was not in the picture. And so we decided to cancel our wedding and kind of go into the same kind of quarantine I think a lot of us did. Um, we're young, we're, we're healthy but we have a lot of loved ones who don't have the same luxuries that we do with um, our health and youth. So we, we were really kind of just together in our house in the way that I think a lot of other people were. Um, we took toilet paper to my mom on Mother's Day <laughs> and uh, some cheese, and we did the Zoom Mother's Day a lot of other holidays kind of followed this similar trajectory. And we had planned for August 2021 for the new wedding date. 
um, I had, I had made this joke just, I was testing superstition, I guess. Um, one of our good friends made this beautiful wedding band and engagement ring for me, and I waited by the window for it to come and tracked it on my phone, and once it arrived, I was like, I'm wearing this thing. Like, I know we're not married, but, like, it's so pretty, and it's a set. Like, I, get, I just got to wear it. And I ran into one of my friends, and she was like, let me see your ring. She's like, oh, no. You're wearing the wedding band, though, too. And I was like, don't worry. There, there's nothing that could come between us getting married. It's going to happen. And so I spent a lot of time reflecting on that decision. <laughs> As the months rolled on and vaccine rollout happened, we were still really uncertain whether we were gonna go through with it. But in June, the energy in the room seemed to change and it felt like we were on the other side of things. And so we decided to set our wedding date for August 29th. <laughs> And the month leading up, it felt like, like things were going in the direction they needed to be. We were rushing a wedding. We decided basically two months ahead of time that we were going to go for it. So we, we had to find a lot of vendors. And turns out we weren't the only people who had put off their wedding during a global pandemic. <laughs> and it was a bit of a stress. It is a bit of a rush. As things started to progress, we realized that we couldn't just have the wedding that we imagined in this pre-pandemic world. So we requested that all of our guests be vaccinated to attend, which is interesting. <laughs> um, don't recommend it if anyone's look, looking to have a fun party, fun, cool party. Um, but it was the choice we made. And as things progressed, uh, we realized there might be some extra precautions that we would like to take for our loved ones who are immunocompromised. And so we spent $1,000 on COVID rapid tests. Also an exciting venture to ask everyone you love to stick things in your nose and make a cute little COVID negative lollipop for you. <laughs> but we were so lucky to have people in our lives who loved us, who were willing to do anything to safely and respectfully be there to support us on this day that felt like it would truly never come. And I am excited to say that on Sunday, August 29th, we broke through the wall and I married that motherfucker. Vatsal? <laughs> this, is, this is what happens when you were mildly intoxicated when you 
buy the tickets and click on the wrong button. Ooh. Sorry, I'm nervous. Um, um, so in 20, uh, 2013, I think, me and some friends decide that like the best way to cross a country is to ride a glorified lawnmower. Um, <laughs> so we did just that. Four of us uh, uh, got into a tuk-tuk, a rickshaw, two-stroke engine, six horsepowers, uh, slightly less than six actually, uh, and uh, we rode it across India um, uh, from from the east to west. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it was it was fun. It was a lot of unexpected things. But the but the one of our friends had this food map of India. Now I'm Indian. Hello. Yes. Uh, actually, next week is going to be my 20 year anniversary coming to this country. Uh, yeah. Yeah, great time to be here like five days before 9-11. Yeah, a brown guy, yeah. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, so, um, but she had a food map, like, you know, um, every state we had to have certain food before we leave that state, right? Every state is a different language, different food, different cuisine, different language, uh, scripts. Um, so, um, so when we started, there was this one state we are going through, and the f item on the list was called Jado. J-A-D-O-H, I think. And we are like, okay, we gotta get Jado before we can leave the country, I mean, leave the state. So we kept asking people like, like where we can get Jado because this is like, you know, this is, your state is known for this dish. And everyone is like, just brushed us off. Um, and so like, 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 we need to do research, but this is before internet and stuff, right? I mean, like, or we didn't have access. So we go to the downtown in the small town and um, go around and ask, like, you know, like, hey, can we get Jado somewhere? And they're like, oh, uh, but why do you want to get Jado, right? Um, and I'm like, oh, because it's what we got to have before we leave the state uh, in our little lawnmower. And by the way, like, uh, how much we uh, ended up riding was, like, from San Francisco to Houston in a lawnmower. Um, so, so you can imagine how, how bad it was. So anyway, so we go and then like, oh, there's only one place that serves Jado in this town. So we are like, all right, great. Like, you know, so we rally the troops. Like, you know, we even found some Australians. Um, <laughs> and like, like, you got to have Jado in the state, right? So like we show up there and, and, and there's four women running the shop and they're like, it was like noon or something, and they're like, well, we are out of Jado. And I'm like, oh, God, like, seriously? Like, they're like, well, but we open tomorrow at 10 a.m. Like, why don't you come back? And I know. So, like, okay, it's 10 a.m. right on the dot. We are there, right, with Australians. Um, um, but we still have no idea what Jado is. And so we, we just, like, you know, everyone ordered, like, full plate of Jado, please, for everyone, right? Um, um, it turns out it's a pig head and intestine. Uh, little did we know. Right? So that was a ball. Um, there were some brave ones who tried, me included. Uh, don't recommend it. Um, uh, like all Australians felt very sick the next day. Um, 
And, but, but we survived and we broke through the wall and we made friends with the four women who had ran the store. So it turns out Jado is something that they serve to you know, the blue collar workers because you know, the, the meat is expensive, something else is expensive. Uh, so they just you know, use the parts of the pig that are not used otherwise. So, so pig head and, uh, and Jado. And every single time after, uh, after that day when we are riding our tuk-tuks, we had our joke like, just ahead. <laughs> Thank you. All right, did anybody put in for the sheepish slam? So it was a beautiful day on the beach. And I was walking with my son in one hand and my nephew in the other. And um, I look up the beach and smile. My sister is photographing us. <clears throat> Sleeper, someone yells. So I'm not a beach babe. I was brought up a mountain girl. I had no idea. So imagine my surprise when the water wets my ankles and then my shins and then alarmingly higher. <clears throat> and <laughs> it was a wall of water. <laughs> it was cold and fast and heavy. <laughs> and <clears throat> my nephew, um, who has CP, was in front of me and his legs folded and he sat in the wave and I looked up the beach to my sister for help and there was no help she was also being inundated with water along with my niece at the same time and I tugged on him with a little bit of force but honestly I wasn't much help I was feeling behind me for the little fingers of my son in my hand and yes, I tightened my hand into a death grip. <clears throat> the wave was coming back at us with a heavy load of sand. And so I screeched at my poor nephew, get up, get up, get up. <laughs> and thank God he got up. <laughs> It must have been the screeching. And he braced for it. And thank God, he withstood it this time. And we withstood the wave. And he was OK. And my son's feet landed behind mine as the wave released us. And I looked up the beach at my sister. And she was looking down at me with her daughter locked in her hand and her drowned Nikon camera. This is like a two or $3,000 camera <clears throat> in her hand, looking at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so we talk about these things casually, like, do you remember that time when? <laughs> Thank God that turned out fine. <laughs> but I never shed my fear of an unexpected force grabbing me, tumbling me and pushing me down to the ground. <laughs> but honestly, I love the ocean. So I still body surf and boogie board whenever I get the chance. <laughs> so this last time I'm lined out there way out in the water with all of the thrill seekers and waiting for that wave to come in. And the kid next to me is like, People shouldn't be out here without flippers. 
he wasn't looking at my bare feet. <clears throat> I heard this kid broke his ankle. And so his friend next to me was like, yeah, there's too many people out here. And like, I'm a 40-year-old, I'm not buying it. <laughs> I'm like, I was here first. <laughs> so I smiled, and I gauged the wave coming up behind us. I'm riding this wave. And I did. This wave came up. This wall of water formed. It was a big roll forming underneath of my board. And I got up on it. I caught it. And I edged my board forward so it caught that fast moving water and I rode that wave all the way to the beach <laughs> unabashedly filling the bottoms of my swimsuit with sand <laughs> I rode it right to the end folks and I got up and yelled "Wee! <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> and so I ran back out to the beach and I swam out there so I could do it again <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I was like, okay, maybe this is the last time. It's like, it's really a painstaking process for a 40-year-old to do this. Like, you have to dive underneath each of the waves as they're coming out, and you have to swim really hard in between them just so you can line up again with those kids. <laughs> so just to get that last big wave. But the last big wave came, and oh my God, it was... It was a big wave. So I yelled out in triumph and excitement. And they did too. Those kids did too. We're all, yes, we caught the wave. And we're riding this awesome wave until this side backwash wave comes at us from the other side of the beach, from this rocky area, this weird sandy stuff. It's splashing us in the face. It's splashing me from both sides, both two sides. I'm getting splashed with water, and I lose my grip on my board, and I lost the edge. <laughs> and I went under, and I didn't know what to do. It was like, oh! And so, like, I touched the rocky bottom with my toes, and all I could think about was that little kid who broke his ankle. And I was like, oh, my God. So, like, I raised up my shins to my chest, and I put my face into my knees. Like, I tucked tail. <laughs> and I rolled with that wave. <laughs> that wave rolled me like, <laughs> like a rodeo clown at her first rodeo. <laughs> but it was still rolling me. <laughs> when it grabbed me and tumbled me over, and then it tumbled the kids over the top of me, I knew it was in control. I was not. That wave was in control, and it had me, and it was going to drag me down. <laughs> and it did. When my toes touched the rocky bottom, I was afraid of like breaking my ankle or my knees, and so I tucked and I kept rolling and rolling and rolling. I rolled faster and faster and faster. And <laughs> and then I felt my, my feet and my ankles and my knees in the soft sand, and there was a little bit more light, and I cracked an eye up, and I saw the sky rolling past, and then there was these two girls rolling past <laughs> with surprise on their face. <laughs> so I planted one foot and then the other, and I stood up and 
pat out the salt water. Oh, shit. <laughs> I walked up the beach like a drunk. <laughs> My husband's friend was up the beach. He was boarding with me. He was like, are you okay? Hello, I still have water running out of my ears. <laughs> that was really something, he said to me. That wave hit you guys out of the blue, and it was just arms and legs and boards all over the place. And I was like, yeah, that is what it felt like. <coughs> I coughed. He said, I am so glad I am here and I'm back in time because I just walked a little boy up the beach who had broken his ankle to his parents' picnic fam his picnic place. Are you ready to walk back to your picnic place? <laughs> uh-huh. So we walked back and the beach on the other side of that nasty rocky mesh was clear and calm and beautiful. My husband was on the blanket waving to me, smiling at my wet hair, and my board gripped like a death grip in my arms. So a couple days later, we checked out of the hotel. We had a couple hours to kill. So I told my husband, I think I'm going to go for a walk on the beach. <laughs> I'm going to just get my feet wet one more time. It's going to be probably a year before I taste salt water again. There's crickets here. There weren't crickets there, but there should have been. <laughs> so I'm walking down the beach, and I'm smiling at the new vacationers in their never-been-used swimsuits, and they're getting their feet wet, and they're testing the water to see how cold it is, and their legs are uncertain. And I smile at them, and I'm listening to the surf rolling in, and the sand moving through the water. And something catches my attention. It's a little voice in my head. It's my mother. <laughs> Let's just be honest here. It's my mother talking in my head. <laughs> Never turn your back to the ocean. She'd said that last time that sleeper had caught me unaware. So I look over my shoulder over the spaghetti strap of my dress and what do you know? There is a giant fucking wave <laughs> right back there behind me, ready to bear down on me any minute. <laughs> and so I have a split second to decide what I'm going to do. And I grinned, and I wished my glasses farewell, and I dove right into the middle of that mother. My fingernails and my clasped hands caught her and pierced her right in the middle where I was supposed to, right in that spot, and I went into that wave, and the water was crashing on the crown of my head, and it swept my glasses away, and my hair went wild and loose in the ocean. And you know what? I stood up on the other side of that bitch. <laughs> I stood up straight and tall in the sun, and I laughed. <laughs> Very funny, Ocean. Very funny. <laughs> Thank you for listening. 
Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Our theme song was composed by Ned Evett. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Thanks to guest host Beth Norton and musical guest Kitchen Syncopation. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at www.storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. Also, check out our YouTube channel. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.